Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our final week in IndyCar guest episode of 2019. We have the champ, the champ champ, Joseph Newgarden, Team Penske, winner of not only the Astor Cup, but also Keymaster, Purveyor, Soothsayer, and some form of Wiccan witch when it comes to the chalice of excellence that I believe he sold his soul to in order to win his second title. All kidding aside, we have a little more than an hour with the champ gracious with his time as he is on most occasions, the usual assortment, all driven by your questions, a lot of fun, some serious stuff as well. The guy is just magic, (laughs) just magic. Love having Joseph on, and Perfect here captured this call late in the afternoon, early evening on December 23rd, and so some fun time had with Joseph, spanning everything, just life, career, his favorite gift for Christmas as a kid to the the kind of sort of bondage thing coming back up of uh, Veins of Milk video, which if you recall his Visit about six months ago in the show. Oh, boy, that that one's unforgettable. Marriage, uh, his favorite Simon Pagino word, just all great stuff. Joseph is truly one of my favorite guests because he gets into it. He has fun, he plays, and really just fits the personality of the show, which is all driven by you. So thank you. Thank you again to the Justice Brothers really been wonderful having them on board all year long this first year with us cooper tires they're closing out our second year together they'll be back for a third torontomotorsports.com you know we do wonderful stuff with them they help me with a lot of great charity stuff the most recent the wilson children's fund prints that we have sold sold i think almost half of them so far raised about five thousand dollars Hoping to get that closer to 10, all being done through torontomotorsports.com. Then our good pals at Bell Racing Helmets USA. Uh, a, a snuggly, snuggly little group of supporters here for what we do. And yes, again, uh, I'm openly admitting, take next week off with the Week in IndyCar, both guest and listener show. Those two take quite a bit of time to make happen, which I thoroughly enjoy. I just also honestly need to have a little bit of not working too much time in my life. So hopefully you will enjoy this with Joseph. And I'm going to try and get our listener Q&A done here shortly as well. Got a lot of other podcasts that I'm putting up between now, I guess the first of the year, but also the first couple days of the new year. A lot of things have been meaning to post, including one of them was meant to go up in May, which was looking back 30 years on Allenser Jr.'s near first win at the Indy 500. Had that all ready to go. And then he had a run-in with the law. And I thought it was best with our friend to not run that uh, while he was focusing on other things. So put that up. Interesting conversation there you might enjoy. Just posted our second annual Holiday Travel Companion podcast. That is 11 episodes, 11 of my favorites. Some of them recommended by you as well packaged into one it's about 10 hours long 
which might sound crazy if you're just driving across the street to mom's house or dad's house or whatever for the holidays. Some of us, some of you all have long trips, flights, international destinations or drives or whatever. So I've had a lot of requests to package something to help make those trips go by. And also, if you're just stuck (laughs) in holiday proceedings that you don't really want to be in and you have some fine earbuds, well, hopefully the Travel Companion Show will indeed get you through that. So just put that up. There's plenty more coming between now and, I don't know, the 2nd or 3rd of January. So in the absence of the Week in IndyCar, I hope you enjoy those pieces mentioned here as well. Finally... More than a year late, I have started to edit Who the Hell Are You? Season 2. 22 interviews, or episodes, I think I have edited 6, maybe 7. Not sure if I'm going to wait until I get them all done and release them in one batch, or if I'm going to try and poop out half of them here shortly, and then the other half sometime in January. Oh boy, oh boy. I had forgotten about how disturbed some of our guests happened to be. Simon Pagino's answer to one question should absolutely cause the police in his hometown in France to really look in to an incident that happened and how it warped his young brain and those of many others. Uh, our conversation with Will Power just... Unforgettable, but problematic as well. Uh, what have I done? Connor Daly. <laughs> Connor's was all kinds of awesome. Uh, famous journalist, famous for his infamy. Wolfgang, two questions, Monser. His, I believe, no joke, might cause his visa to be taken away by both German authorities and if he happens to be here, American authorities. Oh, anyways, I laugh. I'm laughing through about half of the episode so far. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm feeling like I've done a bad thing with about half the others. I just, the last thing I edited uh, was Robin Miller's. Um, oh my God, what is wrong with these people? Nonetheless, they're friends. They're our people. They are our people. So I'm hoping to get as i don't know try and get some done as many done as i can all under the guise of trying to actually not work straight through christmas and new year's so good stuff coming in particular this episode to close out our year where the weekend indy cars really i don't want to say taken off but really gained hold gained traction the weekly traffic numbers tell us that it's It's building and continues to build. I hope you do like the flavor of it. The guest shows tend to be a little bit more polished, meant to be something that anyone can listen to. The listener Q&A show, which I kicked off in, what was that, September as a standalone show. That's just a steaming pile of mess. Uh, What I like to call my unpolished turd show, where I make no effort to be professional And I believe I achieve that with immense success every week. I leave the majority of the mistakes in. Anyways, I hope you're having fun with that too. More coming. We're going to take a week off next week. 
all that said, let's get going with our man, Joseph Newgarden, the champ champ. Here, as we get into the holidays, we get into Christmas or whatever it is you might celebrate around this time. On the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. Friends, we are closing the year with the champ champ. On purpose, the guy that I wanted to close the year with. Your 2019 NTT IndyCar Series champion, Joseph Newgarden, at his mom's house, uh, getting ready for Christmas. How are you doing and what are you doing? Oh, man, we are. Uh, I should have been better. We're actually out here in um, Colorado, so I should have given you a better descriptor of where I'm at. But um, the my sister's uh, created this um, family trip, which we have not done in, I, I think, probably 10 years. We have not done a family trip like this. So everyone is very excited. Um, sadly, I, I actually would have probably like to stay home and not travel <laughs> but it was uh too too good of an opportunity to pass up um to spend some time with the family so yeah we're trying to relax a little bit recharge and get ready to go for next year like everybody i guess so your last week in indycar visit came june 10th or 11th and was one of the most popular of the years of the year questions as you've come to know some are very serious, introspective, pull a lot of lot out from you. Some are completely crazy and silly. And that's, I think, the beauty of the show. It fits my personality. And as we've learned, it fits your personality as well. So why don't we get rocking here with what we have? I should mention up front again, pivoting off of your last visit, we do have the best listeners, your epic veins of milk story from the last <laughs> weekend in IndyCar appearance. That, that's a Hall of Famer visit to the podcast here. So uh, let's start off with Adam Jensen. So Joseph, have you been able to reflect upon the last three years of your career? 11 wins, two championships. He says you're the winningest driver in that time period and the only driver other than Scott Dixon in the field to have more than one championship. Congratulations, champ. Yeah, that's uh, it does sound good when, when you put it like that. Um, you know, the terrible thing about race car drivers, I think we've got to all be this way uh, to some degree. But, you know, it's never really satisfying enough. You know, you look back and, and there's there's times where you have to you know, you have to you have to be thankful for certain things if they're able to transpire. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, I can I can remember the the very first one I got in 2015 and I was so thankful that that happened. Um, I remember that being, you know, probably the, the most vivid moment for me of, of, of just being grateful that we were able to achieve, uh, that success because, you know, I remember going through the first couple of years of IndyCar and, you know, it's, it's just a very difficult process. I, I think it's like this in a lot of things in life, but you know, within our sport, it's really difficult to get to this level and then to not just get to this level, but to find success at this level is even more rare. And so to just get to, to be able to win one IndyCar race is a really big deal. There's there's not a lot of people that have done that, um, you know, compared to the amount of people that have attempted to win an IndyCar race. So I remember that being a highlight for me when we finally got one win. And, you know, it was in my mind, it was, well, if this thing all ends, you know, whenever, uh, at least we were able to win one race, you know, and no one can take that away from you. 
And, um, you know, you quickly, the sad thing is you quickly just move on to the next, uh, sort of the next thing. And, and I, I, I really believe that's, that's in a racer's nature is it's just never enough. You know, you're always looking for more. And, um, that's how I've gotten, you know, I, I look at this last year and being able to win a second championship was, was a really big deal for all of us. And, um, it was, it was a, you know, a, a tough year in, in a lot of ways to try and, you know, keep the, you know, keep everything together, uh, within the championship battle and, and make sure that we sealed it off in the final moment. But then you just, you know, you're just constantly, okay, how do we do more? How do, how do we have a better season than 2019? You know, I firmly believe we can do a lot better than what we've done, um, this past year. I, I think we can win more races. I think we can be even more consistent. And so that my mind always just goes to what's next. Okay. How do we make it better? You know, how do we, uh, uh, in the, in the words of, of Walt Disney, how do we plus it? And so, uh, that's, you know, that's what I always look at is, is how can we plus it? How can we make it better in the future? But it, it has without a doubt been an amazing run. You know, if it all stops tomorrow, um, you know, I feel like I've already, I've lived such a full life. I've done so much, traveled so many places, done, done so many great things within the sport that I never thought I would do. So, uh, without a doubt, I'm I'm really you know really pleased with with what we've been able to put together. Let's go to Chris Hoffman. It says, what's been more stressful, Joseph, fighting for a championship, planning a wedding, or building a house? <laughs> uh, probably the combination of the three is 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 not a great combination. But um, you know when when things uh, start to happen and they start you know sort of uh, manifesting, it's hard to it's hard to stop it. So. I, I think in a way it's, it actually helped the season. I remember us talking in Long Beach and, you know, you were curious, uh, you know, why, why the year was going so well up to that point and, and why things were working out. And, uh, I, I don't know what it is, but, you know, things got a little bit simpler in some ways. You know, we've, we've kind of been on a throwback year. Uh, we moved to a, uh, a small apartment in Nashville, which is, uh, you know, it's been, it's been trying at times, uh, once you get a little bit older and you, you know, you sort of uh, compile more things uh, naturally as Americans do. And uh, you, you, if you go back in time and you you uh, you reverse your amount of storage and living space, it, it gets pretty hard. <laughs> There's no such thing as a man so, cave in an apartment. It's a man closet. Yeah. And not even that. That's been taken away, too. So it's uh, it's been an interesting year. It's been the most loaded up from a personal standpoint. Um, all really good things. You know, nothing to complain about, but just really, really busy. And a lot to look after constantly. Um, but I think in some ways that's just helped me. Uh, I don't know. It's just helped me focus. And, you know, c- clearly we have a lot of help. You know, it's the great thing about my setup is I've got a lot of really great people around me, whether that's on my personal side and my personal life or it's at the race team. You know, and I just don't have to you just don't you don't have to micromanage stuff, you know, which I think as a race car driver is a little hard to do. You want to know every little detail of every little thing. At least for me, I, I like knowing as many details as possible. But um, is you know, this I a formula kinda, you think you're going to try and hold on to? Because I know your teammate Will Power, for example, he has tried 15 different things at the start of new seasons. It <laughs> seems like there's always a new or different approach, and sometimes they've worked, sometimes they haven't. Are you of the mindset to keep tweaking and fiddling, or do you think what worked this year might be something to stay with? I'm a big fan of, of making any situation work. Uh, you know, this year has worked out well, but I'd never like being held to, um, you know, held to a belief that like, I have to have this sort of situation for things to be 
you know, working out mm, well. Smart. So I'm, I'm always interested to see how every year goes, depending on what the situation is. But yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I, it doesn't matter to me, you know, same thing. If you get a new engineer, it's like, well, you know, so what, you know, if you had success with one engineer, why can't you have it with the next? And same thing with the, you know, the life situation. If, you know, this year was a good year and because of these reasons, well, we got to figure out how to make it work with different circumstances. So I'm not going to try and copy it too much. All right. Let's go to <laughs> Evan Scarborough as a punishment or prank, Joseph, which driver would you choose to do a 2020 remake of the veins of milk Indy 500 promo <laughs> as if yours could be topped, but you, you got free reign to pick one of your fellow Indy five or uh, whomever in the uh, 2020 Indy 500 field who is doing veins of milk part two. Just because it would bring me so much satisfaction, I think I would like to see Simon Pagino do it. <sighs> I just want to see him do it. I just think it would be so funny. I mean, I'm sad that I had to go through it, but seeing him go through that would be pretty funny. I mean, just Mr. OCD, he'd have about 50,000 little hand wipes. I mean, I, oh, yeah, that, that, that's picking at a, a pretty big scab right there. That's a great, great choice. Uh, let's go to Mark Taylor. It says, Joseph, I feel like I've seen less of the silly, funny, place, playful Joseph in the past few years than I used to in the pre-Penske era. Is this my imagination, or might this be due to a team directive, or have you found that achieving a higher level of performance in the car requires more commitment and less play? Mm, it's probably a little combination of things. Um, I've definitely become more serious over time. You're also older, um, right? You've matured as a person. I am older, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a very goofy individual, probably more so than people realize. Yes, I, can um, I can confirm. I'm very, I'm very animated. You know, my humor is, is very physical. I'm a very animated person when it comes to humor, but people don't see that very much anymore for me. Uh, you know, I don't know a hundred percent why, but I think it's a combination, you know, definitely, um, you know, the team is the environment that I'm in is, is a little bit different, but I got to tell you, we do, it's not that we don't have fun. We have, I've had as much fun on team Penske as I've had on any team in my life. So uh, I wouldn't pin it to that solely. Um, I but, think we blame Brian Simpson. He has to be at fault for this <laughs> somehow, right? <clears throat> definitely. Definitely. Brian Simpson is partly to blame. Um, no, you know, Brian, so Brian does all my digital marketing efforts and does, does a great job for me, looks after all my stuff. And, and, and for sure there's, there's a balance, you know, I, I think people want to see our personalities, um, you know, like any athlete or any person that you have an interest in, right. That you follow, you, you want to see behind the curtain and kind of, you know, see their life compared to yours. And, um, but at the same point, you know, I think for IndyCar, it's really important for us to, you know, be true to what our brand is. And, and IndyCar has done a really good job of this. Over, I think you've seen a shift over the last two or three years just from the IndyCar side and trying to really fro focus on, on what we what we are as a brand, you know, and we're, you know, I forget their tagline, but it's like bold, fast, and like uh, fast, loud, and authentic, and gassy yeah, a little loud, bit. Yeah, loud, fast, and authentic. Um, and I think that's kind of true to the race car drivers. You know, the, what we do is a very cool thing. I mean, at the end of the day, like it's, it's really cool, the job that we have and trying to showcase that I think is important to a degree. You know, I mean, when I was a kid and I was watching race cars, like I got excited about it because of the battles and the speed 
and the intensity of, of what was happening and what was going to go into a race. And I think it's important for kids and, and people to still see that, you know, that, that it's, it's an amazing thing. It's like flying a rocket to the moon. You know, we get to do it pretty often uh, for most weeks out of the, out of the year. So yeah, I, I don't know the perfect answer, but there's definitely been a shift. Um, and, you know, we've, we've gotten a little bit more serious, but um, at the same time, we're going to try and, you know, also bring some lighthearted fun to it for, for next year. And I don't want to answer your question for you, but I'd say there's also two phases we might uh, consider here as well. Uh, Mark, we have get to know Joseph, new kid, nobody knows me, wide open, yeah, I'll do whatever. Uh, that phase of being known, gaining recognition as a person, as an athlete, and so on. And then there's the hopeful second phase that comes, which is the established. Now that you're here, you're a champ, you're a double champ. I don't know if I would expect the same amount of, ah, let's do it type stuff this far into your career, nor do we look at, you know, Lewis Hamilton or Vettel or name some of the other, say, established Formula One drivers who maybe in their youth they were doing all kinds of wacky stuff. Now, not so much, and it's not because they're less fun, just maybe different phase of their career. So a suggestion, nothing more than that. Let's go to Brian at 500 Indy. 1911. He says, Joseph, do you foresee staying in IndyCar for the bulk of your racing career? Or is a full-time seat in NASCAR something you would leave IndyCar for? Uh, I think I think for sure I'd, I'd like to spend the bulk of my career in IndyCar. If, I, if I'm fortunate enough to do that and, you know, to keep performing at a good level and, you know, keep keeping the interest. I mean, it is important. You got to you've got to keep performing every year. You know, I've always, I'm a big believer that, you know, you're just, you're never secure and, you know, you're only as good as your last year, kind of like you're only as good as your last race. So if that keeps going well, yeah, I, I would love to do a lot more in IndyCar. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of the dreamer in me wants to, you know, keep chasing records um, and whatever we're going to be doing. And I think IndyCar is a great opportunity for me to do that. And so I'd like to, for many years, keep going after that, you know, see if we can finally win an Indy 500. And if you can win it once, you know, can you win it again? And can we, we can we keep winning championships? And, you know, can we win more polls next year? Um, you know, I think about all that stuff. Uh, but at the same time, you know, this this question of uh, do you want to run other stuff? Um, you know, why don't you run other races? It's, it's a constant, it, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, you're always wanting to do more. I, you know, I'd love to run a NASCAR race. I'd love to go, go run Bristol next year if I could. You know, if I could get Roger to put a seat together for me and maybe put a small testing program together and then go run Bristol, I mean, I would sign up, you know, tonight if I had that in front of me. So it's just, it's hard nowadays. You, you, it's not just, you know, it's not the team owner's fault that they don't provide those opportunities. There's, the structure of the industry is very different than what it was 50 years ago. And the funding that it takes and the risk and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors that you have to put into this nowadays to, to make this all work. But yeah, I, I want to run other stuff. And if, you know, I'm able to put programs together in the future that let me run a NASCAR, you know, schedule and maybe run some sports car stuff and, you know, one day go to, to Lamar. I mean, I, I absolutely want to do that stuff. It just, it's unfortunately, it takes a lot of time and I think you got to build up enough credit and enough positioning to, to try and put that stuff together. Trying to think the year uh, you were at the Rolex 24, this would have been pre-Penske. I don't remember if it was 14 or 2015 or whatever, but I mean, you 
I may or may not have tried to help you with a couple of names of, of team owners who I thought might have an opportunity for you. But, you know, you have tried. This is not a case where you've been, quote, lazy, waiting for people to call you. You have made attempts to try and do other forms of racing. They just haven't panned out yet. Oh, man. If I if I could write a book on, you know, it's everyone's going to write a book, right? But if I could tell the story of some of the opportunities and some of the things that I've, I've, you know, tried to put in place that, you know, just haven't materialized or, or never got, you know, fully, uh, fully put together. It's, it's amazing, you know, and, and, it, and it's not just me. I mean, every driver has these stories that you don't always hear about publicly, but y- y- to your point, Marshall, yeah. I mean, we're constantly working on this stuff in the background. You know, you're trying to keep your focus on, on what your main tasks are for the year. And, um, you know, I think you got to, you, you have to do a good job of, of that, you know, trying to put your priorities straight, but you're, you're always working on extracurricular stuff. I mean, all the time. And I think all these guys are, and you just, you unfortunately don't get to hear about, well, what's going into that, you know, what are, how are people trying to put stuff together and you don't get all the tidbits of information that would be quite interesting, but it, it is a constant. You're always trying to, trying to work at it. Let's go to Philip Schmitz. It says, Joseph, what's the coolest Christmas present you've gotten, either as an adult or back in childhood? And he also says, Merry Christmas to the both of you and have a great 2020. Well, thank you. Uh, same to you. Have a great Christmas, great 2020. Um, coolest gift, Christmas gift. I think it was when I was a kid, um, probably about 12 years old, and I had I had not started racing go-karts yet. Um, you know, I hadn't raced anything. I, I really wanted to go racing. And... <clears throat> Excuse me, I got, I'm sorry, I got a bit of a cough. But it's okay, um, we still love you. <laughs> I um I I always wanted to you know get involved in something with an engine. Um, I just want you know I really wanted a go kart since I was a really little kid, like three four years old. I, I wanted a go kart, and I grew up in a household where it's interesting. I had probably the most supportive parents ever that you know wanted us to pursue whatever we wanted to pursue and were interested in. But at the same time, they were extremely protective and we weren't really allowed to have any, um, you know, for me, I wasn't really ha- allowed to have anything motorized. So uh, I used to get my hair cut at this, this barber shop next to a skateboard shop in, um, in Tennessee when I was growing up. And they, the skateboard shop one year, like just started getting these motorized scooters. And um, I remember seeing it. I was like, well, what are these things? You know, they had an engine on it and, you know, they probably weren't that cool, but it, it had an engine. So I was interested in it. And so I asked for Christmas for one year. Well, can, you know, I can't get a go-kart. Can I at least get one of these motorized scooters? And I begged like all year, please let me get this, this motorized scooter. And, um, for Christmas I got it. And, uh, I just, you know, it was like tearing up my neighborhood when I got it and like recruiting other kids to get motorized scooters. And there was like, six or seven of us. And we started this like scooter gang in our, in our <laughs> neighborhood. And, like, and we're like annoying the heck out of our neighbors. But we knocked I off a seven eleven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, we were real tough, real tough kids. So, um, but, uh, yeah, that was my, that was probably the coolest gift. Cause that for me was kind of like the gateway to getting into go-karts. Cause I was tinkering with this, the, you know, this motorized scooter, I was tinkering with it so much that my dad was like, okay, like, we need to figure out a way that we can, you know, try and get involved and, and figure out how to go go-kart racing. So it was, it was the gateway to, to getting into racing. Oh, that's the best. Let's go to JJ Gertler who always sends in something fun every week. Joseph, what's your favorite thing to hear Simon Pagano say? And will you please say it for us in his accent? 
<laughs> I actually, I do have something. He, um, he has a lot of things, but one of them is if he ever says, unfortunately, like he's like, you know, he'll be in an interview and he'd be like, you know, I really want to go back to France, but unfortunately we have this test. And the way Simon says it, and you can't, you know, if, if he asked me to say something in French, I would butcher it immediately. So I'm completely aware that this is, this is a problem that I have too. But the way he says, unfortunately, is unfortunately. Yes. And he always, he's like, well, unfortunately, uh, I can't go. I, I kind of combined his accent with uh, Luca um, from, from 2015. I don't have a great French accent, but when he says, <laughs> unfortunately, I just lose it. It's so good. He's the best. I was texting with him today. And yeah, it, the thing about Pagano. I mean, you and I know pretty much all the same people. When you and I have a conversation, uh, most Americans, I don't think of you speaking in your particular accent, uh, American twang. Pagano, though, that guy cannot, uh, anytime I think of anything, it is always in that accent of his. It is glorious. Uh, <laughs> just the best. Or power. Uh, again, you just work with a bunch of animals, but... Uh, that, that's you. you deal with. Power's American accent is actually a, a treasure, like a national treasure, and more people need to hear it. Oh well, yes, that boy when he gets out of the asylum every day, he delights us. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Perry Nelson. It says Joseph, when you ran the demo laps at the Roval in Charlotte, you were ten to twelve seconds faster than a cup car. It says it looked like you ran maximum ride height, very conservative aero setup. It says if you trimmed out the car and got aggressive on setup. Would we be looking at indie cars running 20 seconds faster than cup cars on the Roval? Mm, uh, yeah, good question. I actually have a lot of information on this. Um, you know, we had run it. I, I had not seen that track. I had not run it at all. And uh, the morning of, uh, I flew into Charlotte, and we, we got on the simulator just and gave me like 45 minutes on the simulator just so I had an idea of where I was going and, you know, what the gears were going to be and so on. And uh, Ben Bretzman was actually putting the setup together and getting the car ready. Um, cause we were, you know, everyone was everywhere. It was right after the season. Um, so me and Ben, we went to the simulator and, um, you know, he, he just, he tried to throw on, we, we tried to game out what we thought it was going to be, but it was, it was a very, very, uh, conservative ride height setup, like your observation. So you're definitely right. Perry's um, a key main, photographer, by the way, for LAT. He's a, he's their fine Canadian photographer. So he's a familiar shooting you and knows what he's talking about. Well, there you go. That makes a lot more sense why he would know then. Um, so <clears throat> the funny thing was we were, you know, the, the, the ride height setting was so conservative, mainly for the banking. It was amazing how much uh, compression you were getting in the banking. And that's where all the bottoming was taking place with the downforce that we were running. So uh, we ran that extremely conservative. Um, we put in like a boatload of understeer, you know, aero balance was way lower. Um, like I probably, my first change after running those six or seven laps would have been, please put in a percent and a half, maybe 2% COP, like just move the aero balance forward. So everything was extremely conservative. And, um, I was in an awkward phase on, on how to drive it, you know, cause you didn't want to go too slow because you had the NASCAR guys out there that were really interested. <laughs> um, so you got, oh, you guys are the fastest. Sure. Right, pal. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to look like a weenie going too slow, but like at the same time, you look, you would have looked like a bigger doofus if you stuffed the car in the fence. So uh, it was like this balancing act of, all right, let me go out and get my feet, but like I'm going to push as much as I can for like an exploration run. So I, I, I treated it like it was a brand new racetrack for me and I was doing the first run of a race weekend. 
but I just took a little bit off of it, you know, knowing that, Hey, if I spin the car on a race weekend, like it's no problem, you know, we can, we can probably recover, but it's not a race weekend. There's no, you know, no one's paying any money. So you don't really want to do that. Um, so then to answer your, your lap time question, I, I think our ultimate lap time would have been around a mid to a high one Oh four. Uh, so I don't, I think that only gets you probably 17 or 18 seconds. Only, um, only being the keyword here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably where we'd have been. I think I ran a low one Oh seven. So we were probably a good three seconds off the pace. Like many who watched your onboard camera, man, it looked like you a found a groove quickly and B uh, weren't leaving a ton a ton of room it really looked like you got into a rhythm and enjoyed it and again i realized that the minutiae of driving race cars is not something that the average fan grasps but i appreciated watching how quickly you picked the track up and were in sync in pushing every lap that was the most fun aspect for me watching the progression from lap to lap and it was like oh this boy's good this boy's what? good you know, it's a, it's a good way to put it though. It, it's an interesting video. You know, most people don't get to see a driver, you know, that's given an opportunity to learn a brand new track and go do a six or seven lap run. And that's, you know, that's what you get. And you say, okay, go do what you can in six or seven laps. And so it's kind of a fun video because you see me finding my feet there in those first couple laps. And, you know, most people just don't, they don't get a video of that. So it's, a, it's an interesting piece. I just opened a beer, by the way. I don't know if you heard that or not, but that's one of my new Cheers. traditions on the show here is to actually try and enjoy a beer uh during the week in indycar so uh there you go love it uh let's see where should we go next we're gonna go to bryson frank says joseph congratulations on an amazing 2019 he says for my question with scott mclaughlin uh being djr team penske back-to-back australian supercar champ testing an indycar for the team soon do you have any desire to test or race one of the captain's supercars. Also, do you see yourself and Scott being teammates at some point in time in the future? If so, in which series? All kinds of questions from Bryson. <laughs> yeah, great questions. Well, uh, Scotty, Scotty's going to test the car, as everyone knows. Um, and I think everyone's everyone's quite excited, not, not only for him, but I think everyone in the team is pretty interested to see how he gets on. Um, just because, you know, he's he's someone that's got a boatload of talent. Um, I mean, just a boatload, you know, he destroyed everyone this year as most people that, that watched, um, would understand. And I, I think he's, you know, he doesn't have a ton of open wheel background. Um, he's got a little bit from his younger days, but I I don't know that that's going to be a big hindrance for him. He seems to just take to whatever pretty easily. Um, and I actually thought it was really cool that look, he's coming over to the States and it'd probably be an easier transition for him to go run a, a stock car but he wants to run the Indy car, you know, and I just, I, to me, that's the coolest part of it. Um, but yeah, we're very excited. I think he's going to do a great job. Uh, I plan on going down to the test and, you know, seeing how he does and, and getting some feedback from him. Um, as far as him running in the future, I have no idea. I'm sure he does want to run something else outside of supercars. And uh, I, I think, you know, I, I think he's probably earned that at this point with what he's done in the supercar program. So it's going to be very interesting to see if he gets a, a seat somewhere. Um, and, uh, yeah, for, for me, I've always wanted to go, you know, run a supercar myself. I know Will and me were kind of petitioning to go run Bathurst at one point. So, um, it's, it's, it's not materialized, but it, there's, there's big interest there. We, we want to go run it. It's just a matter of getting the car put together. 
maybe bring your super engineer Gavin Ward with you. He can engineer anything. Uh, oh, that'd be excellent. Yeah, that'd be that'd be all kinds of fun right there. Let's go to uh, Jay Rowdy and the Zen. I love names on social media. Asking if you could describe the feeling of driving an Indy car, racing in the Indy 500 to a fan and a non-driver. And I know that you get this question many times throughout the year. What's it like? I like the the angle, maybe if, if you think this works, Joseph, of trying to go from being a normal person to an indie car driver, meaning, say, you've been out of the car for a couple of months off-season. You climb into it for the first time at whichever test. What is that like? Because like most people who never drive an indie car, even you for a small phase, go from just driving whatever you do at home to go and get groceries or whatever. There is a transitional phase, right? Where you go, oh, yes, warp speed. I remember what this is like. Can you describe that for someone who has no idea what it's like? <laughs> it's, it's a really good way to put it. So whenever we've been off for like, you know, three months, uh, which is not that long. I mean, three months of time is not a lot. And if you go that amount of period and you get back in the car at a place like Sebring with the IndyCar for the first time, the, for the first hour or two, you, you're really taken back by, you know, not only the power on acceleration, but really the power under braking. You know, the stopping power of the car is amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. It's It's hard to it's honestly hard to hold your head up, you know, and you would think, Hey, I've done this for eight years. Like I know how to drive an Indy car and hold my head up in a brake zone. And you forget how hard it is to hold your head up. Like I'm, I'm sitting there with my face in the dash, like, like <laughs> in the steering wheel for the first couple times going into turn seven. And like, eventually you're like, ah, okay, I know how to, I know how to hit the brake and hold my head straight now. So it's, it's impressive. The things really surprise you when you first get back in them. The funniest part of it is, is once you get to lunch, though, as soon as you get to lunch, you're, you're already yelling at the, the engine and uh, the engine text that you want more power. You know, so you go from being amazed by the thing for a couple hours in the morning to, okay, it, it's cool. I got used to it again. Please give me more power. So, um, it, it happens fast. You know, I think it probably happens a little quicker for, for drivers that are used to it, but, um, you know, if you're someone that's never driven an Indy car, you're going to be blown away by it in the beginning. You're not, you're not even going to know how to keep up with it. Um, but, but like anything, your brain slowly starts to adjust uh, to everything that you do. And I remember the very first time I drove around the, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And the first couple days were like really, really fast. You know, I mean, you're the first time you're doing 230 miles per hour. And like you're just trying to keep up with you know, all the phases of the corner and where the car is at and just the speed of it is just so impressive. But, you know, by the time you get to day three, day four, everything really starts to slow down, you know, and it's, it's a lot easier to get around the track and to, to kind of understand where the car is. So, um, you know, I guess for me is like, you're going to be blown away from it if, if you've never done it, but your brain will adjust at one point. That to me is always the most incredible part having done you know a little bit of racing myself in open wheel cars and even in some sedans whatever it is unless you're driving a you know ferrari enzo every day or some mclaren 720s as your daily driver you're not used to getting your head pinned back in the seat every time you touch the throttle and so the the mental adjustment to me that's the thing that i I think 
I really wish more fans could appreciate that you have people who are able to process things at such a high rate of speed. If you think a batter standing over the home plate trying to gauge when to swing at a ball coming at 100 miles an hour is tough, try doing this at 200 plus over and over. There's no break. You don't step back out of the batter's box, adjust your gloves, and, you know, no, it doesn't stop. And if you let up for a moment, the person behind you goes sailing by. Uh, breaking mm-hmm. zones, apexing, throttle down, etc. I mean, it's amazing the amount of things you have to achieve with no time whatsoever to do it at a level of perfection that's ridiculous to ask of anybody and then do it for 60 laps, 200 laps, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, there's a reason why there aren't many of you in the world. (laughs) (laughs) You know what it, 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 but like Marshall, it is, it is, I I was just been having this conversation with, uh, James Hinchcliffe and, you know, we were talking about the relatability of motorsport and we were at a hockey game and, you know, he asked me, he goes, you know, how many people in this, this, uh, arena you think have, have skated before? And we're like, well, we don't know. I mean, let's say 50% have been on skates, right? Well, if, if only 50% of the people in this arena have been on skates, it, it doesn't matter. Every single one of them appreciate what these hockey players are doing. And that's kind of, I think, I think it's the tough thing about motorsports is that everyone uh, that looks at racing, I think people that understand cars a little bit better and, and have gone go-karting or ha- had a different experience, they have a different view. But for the average person that doesn't know much about motorsports, you know, they have a skewed view on what they think driving a race car is like because they've driven a car on the road. And because they've driven a car on the road, they think they understand what it's like to drive an Indy car on the track and what comes with that. And it's it's such a completely different experience. It's something that you can't you literally cannot even describe it. It's it's so different from what we do on a road um, that I just, people don't have an understanding. So I think they, they have a false understanding of what it would be like to drive a race car, you know, at high intensity and at a competitive level. And that's, that's always going to be the challenge of our sport. And the only way to really crack that is to give someone a run in a proper go-kart or give them a two-seater ride. You, you give anyone that type of opportunity and immediately it clicks and they go, oh, okay, like I get it. This is a completely different thing. And now like I have an immense respect for, for what it takes. I've mentioned more than once, especially with article commenters, ah, you suck, you're the worst driver ever, ah, right? I wish we had some sort of fund where we could take maybe the two-seater, I don't know, something that's not a brand new Delarty W12, but some sort of representative speed open-wheel car and say, hey, you, we read your comment where you said New Garden, whomever, was trash. Come on out. We got your flight taken care of. We got the hotel rental car. We got you a custom suit and helmet. We're going to strap you in. Go. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Show us. Uh, but then I'm a dick, so we won't do that. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to Brock Bolton. One of the most key questions of the episode was the language barrier between you and your Canadian speaking engineer, Gavin Ward, difficult to overcome. Oh, not at all. No. Not, not, not at all. Um, if anything, um, it just added a layer of, of fun to the environment. You know, we got more, we got more flannel. Um, we got more thank yous. We got more O's. We got more, uh, we got more Surrey's. Uh, we got, we just got, you know, a lot of everything that was good, uh, as, as you, as you get in Canada. So, um, 
No, the 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 barrier wasn't that bad. And then you know, on on a serious note, same thing from the racing side. It was it was no, not not that different from what you know he's experienced in the Formula One side compared to the IndyCar side. Um, there was definitely you know, some definition differences, um, you know, the way I would describe, uh, you know, my support feel or platform of the car, you know, the rigid, the rigidity of maybe one axle or the other, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can say things in racing, um, you know, and, and to try and relay what's happening. And so you, I think that's really the, the art of being good at it. When you, when you have a relationship between a driver and engineer is just, you know, kind of hammering out what the definitions definitions are on things. And if if I say this, this is what I really mean. And he just has to grasp that. And then the same thing from the engineer to the driver. So it wasn't that hard. I mean, it was really easy. You know, he's been in motorsports for so long. And I mean, we got on the same page really quick. I mean, it was pretty seamless from our end. I think you took a non-serious question seriously but that's okay uh, maybe we're gonna feed you some beer there uh let's see let's go to mark r who says back when you're you were making those who is this joseph newgarden driver videos which were awesome do you sometimes wish you could go back to those times when you could fly under the radar or uh, or are you fully loving the exposure you're getting now yeah i mean i i i do wish i could go back to uh you know, the, the time when there was no demand, um, you you didn't have to go do a, you know, a million different little gatherings with all the different partners. And I mean, you know, just, it's nonstop travel. It really is. And, you know, it's, it's hard. I'll be honest for me. I don't enjoy that part of it. I I don't like, um, I I don't, I don't do this for any other reason than, you know, I, I enjoy showing up to the track and working with a team as a unit to try and just be better than the rest of the competition there. You know, we're, we're all trying to figure out a problem each weekend and just the competitiveness of trying to figure that problem out first and figure it out the best. Like I love that. That's what I love to do. And so everything else that comes with it is just kind of, you know, part of the territory. And, you know, I, I think if there's something I appreciate the most about it, it's, it's the fan side. You know, we, we're, it's easy to say, but we're we're not able to do what we we do without the fans. And if there wasn't people that appreciated watching us do what we do, then you know we wouldn't have a sport. So I really like the fan passion that you get at the track and everything that we do with the fans that truly enjoy our sport. Um, but all the other stuff around it, all the other obligations uh, that just ramp up more and more. Uh, you know, if you if you're able to find success, it just keeps going up and up. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's just, you know, you get, you have to get better and better about how you manage your time and how you manage your mental energy. You know, for someone like me, I'm not a, I'm actually not a big, um, extrovert. You know, I don't, I don't like being around a lot of people. So, you know, trying to understand how to manage that mentally and, and, and manage my energy throughout the year is really, you know, really what you just work on and get better at, but it, it is hard. I mean, there's, there's more demand than, than you think and you know no one's gonna feel bad for us but um it's just you know you just kind of work on it and figure out how to make it work the best love this next question from mark zastro he says uh thanks to the podcast you ever learned about how important body fit is to eking out that last fraction of a mile per hour at the speedway he says when we watch a team like mclaren fumble their way through the month of may it can seem as if speed is all down to the car and its mechanical and aero properties he says of course we also love to hear and see the driver make the difference. So my question is, how much driver risk versus reward is still part of the equation for making speed at Indy, Joseph? And how would you mm. compare 
important driver risk. How would you compare the importance of driver risk versus reward under the current rules package to maybe the previous packages, say the original Delarity W12 or the manufacturer Ericit era? Yeah, I would say it's pretty, you know, it's pretty similar as far as risk versus reward. If you go back to original DW12, so 2012 to, you know, now and all the iterations, um, in qualifying, it's all been pretty similar. It was probably the most, it was definitely the most difficult in the manufacturer era. You know, you had a lot more steps, uh, from, from an aerodynamic standpoint that were very efficient. So you could trim the car out and, and really put it on edge and have to drive the thing a lot more difficultly, but you would be rewarded for it. Like you'd actually get speed. Whereas now with the, the current regulations, you trim the car out and you start getting to those last steps and those last steps don't really give you much. You know, you're probably going to scrub more than anything. So what does it really matter? Um, so un- unfortunately I think Indianapolis is the one place we need to make better. Um, mm. you know, I hate saying that, but most tracks that we go to, it's, it's, it's not that way. Um, and I'm speaking just of qualifying, of course, but, uh, yeah, everywhere else that we go from a qualifying standpoint, it's, it's very much, yeah, driver, you know, driver skill versus risk. Uh, the driver skill is still very heavily weighted. I think in Indianapolis right now is, is the biggest place we have a problem in trying to give the drivers more tools, uh, to let their talent shine, you know, which is ultimately what you want. You know, you're paying the good guys, uh, the, the money to go out and, you know, show what they can do. And that's why you pay the good guys to, to drive the cars because, you know, they can put it on the edge for four laps and they can find a setup that they can do that with and, and help guide the team to get that. And, and they're worth it. You know, um, if it's just easy for everyone to cruise out there and qualifying, then, you know, what's, what's really, you know, why are we even really doing this? So, uh, unfortunately, India is the one place we need to make a little bit better. But when you're talking about the race, it's a completely different story. Uh, the race is still very much in the driver's hand. And, and you know, the, the, I think the best driver on the day is still going to show on the end result. So, um, yeah, qualifying needs a little bit of work in India right now. Todd Rain says, hi, Joseph. Welcome to Marshall's Madhouse. Thanks for taking the time and being brave or crazy enough to field questions from us lunatics. Uh, he says, <laughs> did you and Tim Sendrick click right away? Or was there a learning curve or feeling out process? And secondly, was there any indication heading into this year? Uh, or did you even have a gut feeling that 2019 might be something special? Um, yeah, no gut feeling. You know, I, I felt like, I honestly felt like 2018 was a great year for us. We just, uh, we just didn't have things sort of pan out how we needed to most of the time. Um, you know, you don't want to put it down to luck. It's just, you know, we just weren't in the right place, the right time. And it just didn't work, uh, in a lot of races, but I think we had really good speed. I think we were doing a lot of the same things. Um, in 2019, it just seemed to, I don't know, it just seemed to gel a lot better. And, you know, our decision-making and, and sort of our timing was just, you know, maybe a little bit sharper, but it, it just was falling into place. You know, we weren't getting these awkward moments in, in the races where things would fall, you know, away from us. Um, so I felt very much the same way going into the year as I did 18. I felt good about our 18 year. It just didn't, you know, didn't turn into anything super great. Um, and then as far as the beginning with Tim, you know, I was pretty excited. I was, I was a little bit nervous, uh, that, you know, sort of the boss of the team was going to be on my car, but mm. at, at the same the same point, I, I also saw that as like the biggest benefit, you know, this Tim is, he's the guy that's, that's seeing everything. And, 
you know, he's as heavily invested in that team as anybody. And so if there's anything wrong or amiss with our program, um, and of course that means me as well, you know, I, I could be one of those variables, but Tim's going to see that immediately. And then, you know, you, you got to think you're going to get a fix as quickly as possible with him being on your car. Um, you know, there's no favoritism. Like he's, he's looking at everything all the time. It's just that ability to have someone listening at all points, you know, on the intercom through the whole race. Uh, he's just got a little bit more of a, a tighter lens on what's going on. I, I saw that as a huge benefit. So I was really excited when, when Tim was going to be on my car. And, um, you know, I think he's turned out to, to just be, uh, an amazing strategist and, um, he always has been very good at it, but you know, on our car in particular this year, it just, I mean, he's just been nailing it. He's, he's really on it. Um, and I think our team in general, our kind of nucleus for our group has just really brightened. It, it just was, it was so good. Everyone was gelling really well this year and, you know, we were having fun, probably a little bit more fun than the first two years. And it was just, it, it went really well. So we've got a, we've got a good dynamic going for, for the moment. Are you afraid of Tim? And I asked this because I was speaking with one of your teammates and was mentioning the only driver I, th- I think I'm confident in saying among all the, the Penske drivers, at least here in North America, that wouldn't be the least bit afraid of Tim is Montoya, right? He's the most <laughs> don't give a bleep guy I know. And the teammate of yours said, no, I think Montoya is afraid of him as well. So I don't know. Is that a thing? Is it not a thing? Tim is, uh, Tim, Tim's, Tim's the best in a lot of ways, but I go in a lot of ways. Ooh, that is a loaded response. Don't, don't be starting nothing. I I go back and forth with Tim, which is the funniest thing in my own mind, because there's days that I'll be hanging around Tim and we'll be, you know, we'll be chatting and I'm like, man, I think this guy, you know, likes me and really appreciates me. (laughs) And then I'll see him another day and I'll be like, gosh, I think Tim hates me. (laughs) Like I go back and forth between those two extremes, like very often. (laughs) So it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's like, look, Tim's my boss. So I know that. And, uh, I'm, I'm on high alert when I'm at the team you know, all I want to do is show up and perform and do my job and keep my job at the end of the day. Um, but then there's, you know, there's moments you want to have fun. And and Tim is one of the coolest guys you could meet. He really is. Like, he's a very, very cool guy and he has a great time. But but at the end of the day, you know, he's running a massive organization and he's got a lot of liability on him. So I think trying to balance that is ultimately what's going on. And um, so, we, yeah, we have a ton of fun. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we still got to do our job and we're, and we're there to perform and and, and to uphold the standard. And, and, you know, you got to kind of thrive in that situation that goes back and forth. Uh, look, I don't think that it is reserved for you as an employee. I'm fairly confident in saying that Tim hates my guts and get that feeling more often than not when I'm around him or speaking to him, even when he's smiling at me. Uh, so I never know, but again, uh, it doesn't really matter, but it's just a topic of intrigue. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to, Nick Vance, I love Nick. He always sends in fun stuff. Says Joseph and MP, the IndyCar holiday party is in its final hours. Spiked eggnog and various liquors have been consumed, and the truths of the year are coming out. Who's putting who in the first headlock? Who is standing on the outskirts instigating things? Says I was going to ask who's the first to get a 
bottle smashed over the head, but hashtag me personally, I could see DJ Willie P smashing one over his own head right before head diving into the aforementioned scrum. Happy holidays to you all. So what do you think? We got the IndyCar holiday party going. Folks are uh, well sauced. Who uh, who puts who in the first headlock, man? And is it a fun-loving one, or is it a grudge thing? <laughs> I think he's probably spot on with the Willie P assessment. Like, uh, Will probably would put someone in a headlock. I think it would be in a half-fun, half-serious way. <laughs> like, part of Will wants to joke around, but, like, part of Will comes from the mean streets of Toowoomba, oh, which yes. I still don't I still don't understand what that means, and he tells me it all the time. Um, so I don't know. I think he'd just want to see who's tough in the room, and he'd probably put like Graham Rahal in a headlock and just see what happens. I could I could believe that scenario. I could see Bourdais getting about half a bottle of red wine in and then just going head hunting for Dale Coyne. Couldn't you? <laughs> just like headlock like you wouldn't believe, trying to do a stone, you know, some sort of WWE move on him, a stone cold stunner. I don't know what. I could see, I mean, just using topical stuff of late Nick, I think, I think Dale would actually need to come to that party. A little bit of security. It might get ugly. Uh, Hinch is too nice to do something like that with anyone at, at Spam. But yeah, I, I think the easy one, I think it might be Seb. Uh, as for instigating, that's one, right? Who who among the drivers do we think would be the instigator? Hey, you, boy, that guy was looking at you funny. Hey, you should go over there and tell this person off. Oh, definitely Marco. Marco's going to egg everything on. He's not going to be involved, but he's going to like somehow just create a storm. He is, know, and right? And he, oh, and he, but he plays it off the little baby face guy, right? Folks oh, don't yeah. know. There, there's... There's nasty, nastiness beneath the skin there. Uh, let's go to our man, Eric Franklin. He says, Joseph, will you will we see you, quote, defend the one or another rallying cry from your team in 2020? So curious, car number one, that reserve for the champion. Just curious, do you have any kind of uh, thoughts on how you're going to ramp up the team to go get your third title? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, stay tuned. You know, we're working on it right now. We're trying to make sure that we're ready and fired up. And, um, you know, we like giving a little, uh, a little pump up. I think it's fun. You know, when the IndyCar season's right around the corner, you want to feel like, look, we put in the work and we're ready to go back and, and keep hitting these guys. And I think that's kind of how we feel right now this off season. So we are gaming it out. We're trying to figure out what's, uh, what the theme of, of 2020 is going to be. I think we know what our theme is. It's just a matter of conveying that correctly. So, um, yeah, we'll have something. Uh, it's just not done yet, but, but it'll be coming. Let's go to Gwen Hayes. Joseph, what is your favorite ride at Disney World? Also, do you remember seeing me in the Haunted Mansion? That was awesome. Yes, I do. I do remember Gwen. Um, we were there in... I believe that was Disneyland that we saw Gwen. Um, I've seen a couple good IndyCar fans, to be honest, at, at Disney, and it's kind of taken me by surprise, um, but it's weren't great. You, weren't you it. just there with Wiccans and, and a few others? Or I'm trying to remember. We were. Yeah, we were there. Wiccans and Mr. Wiccans and uh, Jack Harvey were there, and we were hanging out um, right after – heck, when we were there. I think we were right before Thanksgiving we went. And so we were checking out the new Star Wars land. And I think that's probably my new favorite setup. Uh, they've done a very good job on it, uh, the Disney company. 
and they've got this new uh, they've got this new ride that's coming out, which I think is going to be my new favorite. It's like the longest ride Disney's ever made. It's supposed to be 15 minutes, which is absurd for a Disney attraction uh, called the Rise of the Resistance. So um, that's going to be that's probably going to be my new one. But Tower of Terror is like I think the most nostalgic for me. I don't know. You know, most people say Space Mountain, but I think Tower of Terror is like always a good one for me. Wow. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for sending that in, Gwen. Uh, Windy Car says, Joseph, you're a dominant champion in a professional sports league with a national audience. He says, Marshall enjoys the NBA, as do I. And he says, for every Magic Johnson, there seems to be a Tim Duncan, or recently LeBron everywhere, Space Jam 2, selling umpteen products, and then there's a quiet guy like Kawhi Leonard. He says, how do you approach that dynamic where you're not just competing solely for yourself anymore, but you're now the champion in the face of the league. He says, do you see yourself as kind of a bigger profile ambassador for IndyCar's brand? And will you star in Driven 2 when I make that movie? <laughs> uh, I hope not. I hope we make something much better than Driven 2. But Is that um, possible? <laughs> I don't. I, that's why, why touch it? You know, when you have a masterpiece like Driven, I don't. I don't see that you can add any value there. You know, why, why mess with it? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It like, it kind of goes back to an earlier question, but it's, it is hard for me because, you know, it would be a lot easier if, uh, you just were, you know, a little more understated and most people weren't really <laughs> looking for anything from you. Um, I just like to show up and, and kind of, you know, get to work, which is what I enjoy, like I said, but you, you, there is a responsibility there to, to carry the message of the series and I think to be knowledgeable about what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and to get more people excited about that. You know, when I was a kid, I, I got excited about motorsports and, and I want kids of the future to be excited about motorsports, whether that's driving the cars or watching the cars or working on the cars. You, you want people to be excited. So there, there is a you know, there is a task there for the champion and I, I try and do the best I can, um, but I don't force it, you know. I, I really don't. I don't like going in and trying to be in the spotlight. It's hard for me. I gotta, you know, I gotta work at it. Um, I know it's important, so I, I put in a bit of work at it. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not out there, you know, beating the drum trying to just make more opportunities. Um, I would like to see a new racing movie, though. Senator, Senator at IndyCar. I think that would be very, very cool. Uh, you know, something more. Uh, I think a little bit more futuristic. Um, not like Space Jam, but something that could gravitate for young a young audience. I think if we could we could get an opportunity to like that for the series, it would be really big, and I, I would be all about uh, you know being a part of it somehow. Penske Jam. I mean, you guys already do the Penske games. I mean, Roger could surely you know fund an animated movie about you, crazy bastards. Just an idea. Mm-hmm. Just an idea. A bad one, Just but not. an idea nonetheless. Uh, Andrew. Dry Belbus, and I think I might have not murdered your last name completely, Andrew, and if I did, I apologize. Says, thoughts on Connor Daly driving for your old team and the paths you guys have taken since being in Indy Lights together. Says, where do you think you'd be if, A, you'd taken the path Connor did in dedicating a longer period to Europe, uh, and where do you think Connor might be if he stayed in Indy Lights that season? Ooh, great question. Impossible to answer. You know, for me, I'm never a fan of comparing careers or, or trying to speculate because you're better, right? We can just acknowledge that. <laughs> I mean, clearly that's that for sure. No, no, it's, um, it's so, it's so difficult. I mean, it, it is incredibly difficult, Marshall, to, 
to try and hypothesize how this stuff all, you know, kind of comes, uh, you know, comes to the surface. I mean, it's just really, really tough. Um, you know, I mean, it's near impossible to make it to this level, uh, especially if you don't have, you know, big backing or big support. You know, I remember, I mean, I don't come from a racing family. I don't come from any serious uh, involvement in the sport. So I, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I think it's great. Connor got an opportunity, you know, clearly he's, he's stuck with it more than anybody as far as, you know, showing he's still around, showing he's still interested, showing he's still got his helmet. So, you know, I, I think it's great. He's been rewarded with another drive and, and put the work in. Um, so we're I love, see, you know, I love the angle, Joseph of, so you had a dream and the dream didn't pay out, pay off when you thought it should, you had, you know, the, the yeses to no's in terms of opportunities to drive have been, you know, one out of every 10, maybe the vast majority of answers have been, maybe you should pack it up. Maybe you should consider doing something else in life. And Connor has refused to accept that. We can say among friends, we don't think he's good at anything else. So what else would he do? But regardless, (laughs) What do you just think about the fact that, again, friend, teammate, the two of you coming up together, what do you think about this guy who has refused to accept the cards that have been dealt to him over and over and over again? And here he is later than most uh, age-wise where he is coming back into the series. Realize it's not full-time yet, but I mean that's that's a degree of, of determination and character, Joseph, that uh, that's a rare story to see someone absolutely make this happen after so many times of it frankly just being taken away uh, well you know what i mean it's the attitude you have to have right you know i mean it's not it's not gonna happen unless you do that if connor daly just sat on the couch uh, and did nothing then then nothing was going to come his way and in motorsports yeah uh, you absolutely have to have that attitude and he's done it you know he's went out and, and find some funding and and put drives together and constantly been there and and been called up, you know, left and right from different teams, which is, which is a good thing. And so, you know, now he's got another opportunity to try and make something happen. And, and that's what he's going to do next year. So it's going to, I think it's gonna be fun for everybody to watch that. It's a fun storyline. Um, but you have to have that. I mean, look, racing's, it's all about tenacity. I mean, you just, it's not going to happen unless you're constantly working on it. It's just not. And it's like that for everybody. So he's probably kept it on longer than most, uh, to your point, but, you know, good on him. He's getting rewarded for doing that. And that's, that's, that's why he has a seat for next year right now. We get Connor Daly. That's always fun. Paul Trahan says, I'll keep this one short and sweet. Eggnog. Yes or no. No, <laughs> no, I'm just going to keep it short. No, I, I'm not an eggnog guy. I, Paul, I would, I can't tell you granted my body type might give away the answer here. I can't tell you how many, Hundreds of gallons of that stuff I've digested over the years, but I stopped drinking sweet stuff. Frankly, just cut sugar out of my diet altogether about a year ago. So I'm longing for some, but no, alas, none for me. Uh, Let's see. This is one of those questions that I love, but there's no conceivable way to answer this one. But we'll see if you can. Comes from Mike Javlo. Joseph, with two championships won thus far, it'd be great to see you win the Indy 500 from your perspective. What will it take to drink the milk in 2020? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is hard to answer the question. Probably impossible. Drive better. Um, yeah, just do better. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always the answer. Just do better. I don't know. I mean, um, 
I, I think I, I think I've got an understanding of, of what that place takes as far as, uh, you know, the commitment and the time management across the month and, you know, how you build to, to the race and then how you manage the race and how you try and position yourself. There's, there's really a lot that goes into that one event. And I think at the end of the day, you know, I've always, I've always said this, but I think that event, you just never know when it's going to shine on you on, on any particular day. Um, but the, there's, there's one thing I'm, I'm a hundred percent positive of, you know, I, I don't know how many opportunities you're going to get at the 500. If you get 10 opportunities at it, let's or you get five opportunities at it. You have to work very hard to give yourself an opportunity to win that race every year you're in it. You, cause you, you never know when that, you know, your car is going to be just right. You're going to be positioned just right. And you make the right decision at the right time at the end for it to all pan out. But the, the more years you're there and the more years you put yourself in a position to win the race, um, I think the more likely it is that one of those years it is going to work out. And, and so what I mean by that is, look, you go through this whole month and you go through the whole race, but it, it's all about positioning you for the end of that event. You know, those last 30 laps, that last stint, it's all about how do you position yourself for that. And um, so, you know, it, it's that's what I that's what I work on. I work on giving myself a shot every year. And hopefully one of the years it's, it's going to, you know, kind of materialize. I don't recall if we covered this in your last visit, Joseph, but if you do win the Indy 500, knowing that before the race, you're asked what you want to drink, given the veins of milk trauma that I don't think will ever go away. Will you just ask for some milk? I don't know, some fine, uh, Tennessee bourbon. I don't know. There's a, there's something about you winning and then drinking milk it would feel a little wrong and dirty. <laughs> you know, the funniest thing is like, I have a dairy issue, like as in not medically, but like I have a, I have a strong love for dairy. Like I drink way too much milk and I think it would be extremely fitting, not because of the veins of milk, but because of my deep, deep desire to enjoy dairy products that I, I want to win the 500. Like, I drink an unhealthy amount of milk every week. Like, it's just, it's a problem. Give me a number, a gallon. Uh, like it, anywhere from two to three gallons a week is not abnormal. What? I know it's like a freakish, that's a freakish amount of milk. It's just, it's way too much dairy that one person should be consuming. Do you like poop bricks of calcium or something? I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if a nutritionist is saying, yeah, man, three gallons of milk a week. Yeah, I have oh. indestructible bones. They're just solid. They've just turned into adamantanium at, at this point. Jeez, you're just Captain Frickin' America. Sorry, Hunter Ray. You got to up your milk game if you want to keep that nickname. All right, we're going to ramp things down a little bit. Final couple of questions. We already covered uh, the one Tim Peters sent in about some other forms of racing you would like. This one I really love from Keith Anderson. He says, my son loves the Joseph the IndyCar Driver book. He says his first race was at Road America, and he loved following your orange, his favorite color, livery, in 2017. Are you planning any other ways uh, of outreach to IndyCar's next generation of fans? Yeah, great question. Uh, glad you liked the book. Glad your son liked the book. Um, we didn't I, know, you know Joseph got... could read or write until it came out, Keith, so that was like a great <laughs> revelation, too. Yeah, that's really why we did it, was just to prove that um, I had some sort of educational skill set behind me. But um, uh, the, I, I got the most compliments on that book as far as, you know, what the book, Brooke, um, excuse me, what See? the book. Yeah, exactly. I struggled. Me not be able to speak. Um, 
what the book gave to kids, you know, cause there, there's not a lot of material, uh, for young kids to, you know, kind of fantasize about, you know, what a race weekend's like or what IndyCar is like. And, um, that book really did that. So it was, it was a cool opportunity that I was, it was actually presented to me like four or five years ago by this guy named Chris Workman. And, uh, he was an author illustrator and he really wanted to do a book. And, and, uh, so it was, it was really his baby. And, and I gave him my, you know, I went through my entire story with him and we formulated this, this book around the road America weekend together. Um, but it was really his work that, you know, made it come to life. And, uh, it's a good question because I, I think, um, more books would probably actually do well. I think there's, there's a lot of people that have bought that book just for their, their kids or, um, you know, nieces, nephews, uh, Christmas presents for, you know, friends that have kids that like racing. So it has been very good. And, and, you know, maybe we should do some follow-ups and create a little bit of a series. I would, I seriously, I think that'd be an amazing thing for you knowing now, especially higher profile, more folks know you want to follow and whatnot. Some pretty cool stuff you might be able to do here. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's go to Dan Gallagher. Another very important question. Do any side bets get placed during the Penske games? (laughs) Side bets. Uh, Well, man, I can't even remember. There's so much, uh, there's so much debauchery that's going on during those (laughs) games. It's just bad. (laughs) There's, I mean, there pro- there probably is. Uh, I mean, there there definitely is. I don't think there probably is. There definitely is. I don't know that there was anything like long standing that took place, but um, man, they just they just need to get a camera twenty four seven on that day. Like it, it's it's just panic. It's panic for the people putting it together. Um, it's panic for like the whole crew trying to film it. Like it's just nuts. You can't corral that many race car drivers in a confined area and have them do competitions, you know, over the course of like seven, eight hours. Like it's just not, it's not a healthy situation. So they just need to film the whole thing. Like just put a camera on us the entire time and they can make episodes. Um, but yeah, there wasn't one bet that stuck out. I mean, there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of making fun of people. Like that's, that's mostly what happens is just race car drivers making fun of each other. That's probably 90% of what's going on when we're not filming and also why we're filming. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched like American Ninja Warrior. I was always fascinated to see how they do the little vignettes before the person goes and does the obstacle course. And they, they show that for many of the folks who've done it more than once in their backyard, they'll build like the same kind of obstacle course or as many things as possible to improve their grip strength or the leaping from this to that. So that when they do actually go through this gauntlet, they're not, you know, they've trained themselves physically to succeed. Is this something like any you do or anyone does? Like, are you freezing t-shirts and trying to fold them or whatever, (laughs) just to try and really get ready for the next Penske games? You know, if there's like an article that needs to come out, it's, it needs to come out on like, drivers trying to break you know or i don't know um there's like a cybersecurity gate on us trying to figure out what the games are because uh, they don't tell us it so we're like always trying to you know we're always trying to like break in on like who has the game profile and like what they're gonna be so we can get an edge and uh yeah we just they keep it buttoned up you know we're like always trying to figure out what they're gonna be throwing at us and you know, they don't tell us, they don't tell us. I've always been, I've petitioned for like a full scale wipeout set is what I would like to see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like, I think that'd be amazing. Not only fun to do, but hilarious to see Juan Montoya do that. So, 
uh, yeah, I just want a full set. I don't know where they film that, but can we just rent that for a day and let us go through it? Because that's what I want to do. I can go ahead and save uh, Jeremy Troyano the, the time from writing the headline. Uh, all Penske IMSA drivers to miss the Rolex 24, IndyCar drivers to miss the season opener, and no Penske NASCAR drivers will be competing in the Daytona 500 due to <laughs> concussions, broken bones, and general delirium from uh, hitting their heads and smashing into things on the uh, wipeout set. But I, it, it would be fun. Uh, boy. It could be worth it. I think, yeah, <laughs> boy, a whole new, whole new. Actually, Austin Cinder could be the one driving all the cars for you guys, so that'd be pretty fun. Um, we, got a, we got a question here from a guy named Gavin Ward. Uh, I think he wrote in last time. Not oh, fully Gavine. sure who he is. Yes, he says there's a vicious rumor going around that Joseph has been selling cheap chalice of excellence knockoffs on amazon in order to fund a troubling freshly baked cookie addiction confirm or deny um i gotta be i gotta be straight with you um i i signed some paperwork uh that said i wasn't allowed to speak about this this subject um it was a lengthy lengthy legal procedure that took place uh at the end of this year um, look, I don't want to say, I don't want to try and, you know, I don't want to try and start any rumors, but, uh, you know, there was, there was some issues that took place with the chalice and, um, uh, it's all been resolved. Uh, I think all parties are satisfied with, with, you know, what transpired and, and how we buttoned it up. Um, but I, unfortunately I can't talk about it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a sensitive subject, you know, we're going to, we're going to see what 2020 brings, um, but that's that's all I can say, unfortunately, about it. Does the chalice, knowing that it is a mystical creation, does it have its own lawyer? And is that lawyer, does that person <laughs> come in ghost form? Um, again, uh, it's it's one of those things I can't comment wow, on. We're on. Wow, we can't even, wow, we're on total lockdown. Just, Jeff Zerneski is asking what tastes best best when being drunk from the chalice how does it the chalice spend its off season nothing <laughs> it's look there's so many there's so many powerful people involved in this Ooh. and the heads that would roll if if i were to engage in this this discussion is it's it would hurt it would hurt so many families okay and but it's christmas i don't want to hurt uh, you know, families and, and their, their, their livelihoods. I can't speak about it. I just can't. It's, it's, it's been so traumatic and the chalice has so many powerful people involved and, um, I just can't go further. I can't go further with, with what has taken place with it. Well, we're going to reveal a secret here on Joseph's behalf, because for legal reasons, he can't, although he drives for team Penske and the chalice resides within the halls of team Penske, although Roger has purchased the IndyCar series and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He does not own the child. She tried to buy it. He tried to get that thrown in with, with the, the Holman George family. Could not happen. So I grasp the reason why. And you mentioned you didn't. You mentioned a legal procedure that sounds like surgery. It sounds very deep. So uh, I can grasp why you can't go into this. I understand. Uh, let's get one or two, three more here, and then we'll uh, say farewell. This comes from Ruffles12. Joseph, you and Rossi were neck and neck all season, really the past two seasons. What's your relationship like with that guy? And do you think your rivalry could be the best thing for IndyCar moving forward? Well, I would if you'd punch him, as I keep suggesting you do. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's um, that is a strategy. Um, you know, that could that could do things possibly. <laughs> uh, um, it has been good. You know, I think he's um, you know he's obviously found himself a good home there at Andretti and 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 done a fine job. And um, I think we have we have without a doubt a good little battle going. You know, he's been very strong and and he's someone that we got to account for and beat every week. Every week we show up, we know he's going to be in the you know, in the thick of it. And, um, it's more than him though. I mean, I don't want to just single out Rossi. Like I think that top five group top six has been really, really tightly put together. I mean, it's really been tough between, um, that top core group, but, but Rossi's, you know, well within it. And, um, and he's fun to race. I, you know, I've, I've, I've not had any big run-ins with him on the track yet. Um, we'll see, you know, we'll see how that, that goes for the future, but, you know, so far he's run me fair. Uh, I think we've had some hard racing, which is good. I think we'll continue to, to race each other hard. Um, but he's, you know, he's been fair with me as far as you know, when we've been on battle on the track. So yeah, it's, it's a good rivalry without a doubt. And, um, we'll see how it takes shape here in the future. You're going to go to, I forgot my password. Okay. One of my other favorite screen names on the good old interwebs it says, Joseph, congratulations on your championships. More importantly for your wedding. He says, from one Southern boy who, quote, sounds like a Yankee to another, what brings out your Southern drawl the thickest? He says, when I retell old family stories, I can hear the Mississippi River rise over the levee and flood my accent. He says, I suppose it's from the way I heard those stories told. He also has a question for me, too. So is there a Joseph Newgarden, Tennessee accent in there somewhere? I've never heard it, so I don't know. It's you know, it's it's sadly not there. Um, I, you know, I kind of come from a probably a background that not everyone knows about, but my mother is Danish. Yep. So I, I'm fifty percent Danish, um, and my father is from New York. So you know, those are not that is not the best recipe for a Tennessee accent. Um, but uh, yeah, they you know, I grew up. I, I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. And, um, I think a couple of the years that I spent in England also probably evened me out. Um, it's, but I've never had one. I've just never had, I've had a very standard, I don't even know if you call it a standard accent, but I've just been very, you know, very, uh, very plain. There's not much to it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know the reason, you know, my sisters actually do have a little bit of a a country accent, just a little bit. So I'm not sure why it skipped me, but probably more. I, I think it's down to the travels. Like I said, those two years in England, I started, man, I had so many like Englishisms when I was in, you know, living in Oxford. Like I would say mate all the time and like <laughs> I had an English accent and it was probably really awkward for people because I probably still sounded American, but was like trying to sound English. Uh, but that's what happens. You live in England for a couple of years, you know, you start to pick that stuff up. See, I'm a Californian transplanted father though. My father's born and raised in uh, Marianne, Arkansas. And my wife has a great laugh at me because sometimes when I say certain words and I'm sure these are things that, you know, my father said, I mean, I've been to Arkansas four or five times in my life, but somehow a little bit of an Arkansas accent comes out. But again, I think it is just passed down from my old man. So all kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, I was also asked here about my perfect beer balance, bittersweet, malt, grassy. Do you want a draft or taste or something hearty? Um, something hearty, a uh, big fan of stouts. Uh, my, my general rule for beers, if I can see through it, I don't want it. So something thick and dark. What about you? Are you a, are you a beer guy, alcohol guy at all? 
Oh man, I'm probably going to disappoint a lot of listeners. Um, I don't drink, uh, very often, you know, I do drink, uh, very, very rarely. You know, if I, if I do, I have some, I have some big machine vodka. Vodka is pretty easy for me. It's low calorie. Look at a sponsor um, plug. You just worked right in ah, <laughs> yeah, smooth, it's just like uh, it's, it's big machine vodka. Exactly. Exactly. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're good, good friends of mine, but they have a great product and they're, they're obviously from Tennessee. So I'm kind of repping my Tennessee roots, uh, with big machine, but, um, yeah, not really. You know that I think the first time I had alcohol, I just, I never drank. I think the first time I drank was I was 24 or something. So it was, it was not that long ago. And, um, yeah, I don't drink too often. Um, uh, but beer, yeah, not, I'm not a beer connoisseur, so I can't jump in. Unfortunately, apologies to all the fans that will be disappointed by that. Um, it's never too late to start. Yeah. I mean, when isn't starting an alcohol consumption program <laughs> bad for your life or career, right? You hear that all the time. I mean, in 12 step programs. Why not start I, now? You're never too late to be an alcoholic. I feel like I've got my whole life, right? Yes. I can always, uh, I can always go down that path at some point. So you never know. Marriage, alcoholism, we're all the way there. All right, Brett Ross has a couple of great ones here that are going to take us home, and I saved this for last. Uh, the first part of this says, Joseph, I read an article about you having a Camaro, I believe it's a ZL1, and taking it to Virginia International Raceway. Any thoughts about taking an IndyCar to VIR? Oh, Wouldn't that be I the best that. ever in the history? I love that idea. VIR is one of my favorite racetracks in North America. Um Unfortunately, I've never gotten to driven or I've never gotten to drive anything of substance there. Uh, I drove a skip barber car there when I was a junior driver and it, it is one of my favorite places. You know, and I remember Road America was one of those spots that I drove uh, in junior cars and like never drove there again until the IndyCar. car and I was like, wow, like this place deserves a proper race car and, and it was fun to see that. I think VIR would kind of be the same way. Um, so yeah, I would love to go there in IndyCar. I, I don't know how we'd race around there. Um, it's always hard to say until you get cars on track, but yeah, I love that track. It's awesome. And I do have a Camaro ZL1 1LE and, uh, that would be a good spot to take it. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Let's go to Brett's final question here that it's going to close out the episode. It says, Joseph, can you talk a little bit about your charity ping pong games? Have you won and do any other IndyCar drivers play? And as you know, I'm a big fan of folks doing whatever they can with charity and love the fact that charity has been a big part of your background and your families as well. You know, it's been, it's been really fun. So we had our second annual tournament, uh, this year and, um, we raised, we raised some really good funds. I think we got up to about $85,000 this year, which was crazy impressive. A lot of that was honestly, thanks to shell shell was our big partner and they put a lot into it. Um, and so I was really, really thankful for them. They did so much for that program but yeah, we do this, um, every year now, uh, we're going to continue it in 2020. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a ping pong tournament. So there's, there's a fun element to this. I always have, I've loved the game of ping pong. It's a really fun game to me. And, uh, so now we have a char- charity tie and it's all for serious fun children's network, um, which is a really cool, cool program that I've, I've grown to love a lot. You know, I, most people that know about it know it was Paul Newman's that he started with, uh, the hole in the wall gang camp that was kind of the original uh, start to the charity. And then they expanded and, you know, just created so many camps. They have 30 camps worldwide and they provide all these really cool opportunities to, to kids that, 
you know, are battling illnesses um, and that don't really have the opportunity to just be a kid when they're, you know, that, that age. So it's really special to see what they do. Um, but then this year, yeah, or I should say in 2020, we're going to try and uh, I don't want to say too much, but we're going to try and the, the plan has always been to open it up and make it bigger and better and, and, and open it up for fans. And so uh, I'm going to try and make it a public event. It's always been kind of private or semi-private. And the drivers do come partake. I think we had 18 or 20 guys there this year from, from the Indy 500 that were playing in the tournament and, uh, you know, trying to be competitive with each other before race weekend. So I think it would be fun if we could open it up, sell tickets, have the fans kind of be a part of it, maybe have a fan team, you know, things like that. Ooh. So we're, we're, we're very much working on this 2020 uh, ping pong tournament. So it's, um, you know, stay tuned for details. We're trying to, trying to put some stuff together for that. Let me throw in a quick idea here, knowing that everyone's assembled in one place and there's video and everyone there makes pretty darn good money. I think this should be a compulsory part of the Penske games where every driver, it's like a $5,000 buy-in winner takes none where all the money goes to, uh, the serious fun network. You know, I mean, come on, this would be a blast as well. I think you'd spank them as you should, but uh, I think there's something here too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. We should brainstorm more. That's what it is all about. We're putting our brains together. Joseph Newgarden, you know how much I appreciate you and always thank you for the amount of time you take. Wanted to mention for folks that didn't know, this is just another, like, yeah, this guy's pretty special when it comes to taking care of IndyCar fans. Not only do you come on the show here a couple times a year, answer all this silly stuff that we throw at you with with great humor. Monterey, season finale, leading the points, haven't clinched the championship yet, races Sunday to do that. I've got my final live show of the year scheduled for, I don't know, what was it, 4.30 or 5 o'clock on Saturday. The amount of drivers who had nothing going on who said no, it's pretty funny. The guy who, in theory, has the best justification to say, thanks, really appreciate the invite, but, you know, I just want to keep things quiet and small. Got this championship to focus on tomorrow. I'm going to take a pass on this. That wasn't you, man. You came out, had a, I think, had a, looked like you had a blast, told the crowd to boo you when you showed up because you had to run a little bit late uh, on purpose. But just the fact that when, in theory, you could totally take a pass, Say, nah, no thanks, the timing doesn't work. Day before I'm going to try and win a championship. He said, no, let me come on out, have some fun. Folks absolutely loved having you. So thanks again, man, for being so generous with your time, even when it's not expected. Hey, well, we love you, Marshall. You do a lot for this sport, and uh, we all appreciate it very, very much. So it's, it was fun for me. Those, those deals that you put together are very, very fun, uh, not just for me, but for all the fans. So thank you for everything that you've done this year and, and supporting us. And, you know, as we look to 2020, um, I'm wishing you and everyone else a Merry Christmas and, uh, hoping for much better things, uh, for, for you and your family. And we're thinking about you guys always, and let's go into 2020 and, um, make it bigger and better, man. Amen. Thanks champ. <laughs>